Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the world's largest membership organization for anti-financial crime professionals. In this episode of Financial Crime Matters, I talk with Liz Lowy, who is a former prosecutor in the District Attorney of New York's office and also the co-founder of Eversafe, a fintech company dedicated to protecting the elderly and other vulnerable people from financial abuse. I hope you enjoy the podcast and will subscribe to this series either on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Here we go. This podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv WorldCheck. For leading risk intelligence, think Refinitiv WorldCheck. WorldCheck helps you identify red flags, fulfill know-your-customer due diligence screening obligations, and comply with regulations. For over two decades, the WorldCheck Risk Intelligence Database has been delivering accurate and reliable information to help you make informed decisions. It has hundreds of specialist researchers and analysts across the globe adhering to the most stringent research guidelines as they collate information from reliable to reputable sources, such as watch lists, government records, and media searches. To lead the fight against financial crime, it takes more than risk intelligence alone. It takes collaboration. From money laundering to human trafficking to terrorism financing, financial crime is in every corner of the world. So are we, helping you fight it. Refinitiv World Check. Find out more at Refinitiv.com. Liz, it's my pleasure to welcome you today. I'm talking to Liz Lowy, who, as a prosecutor, founded the Elder Abuse Bureau in the Office of the District Attorney of New York, and who subsequently has become the co-founder of Eversafe, a fintech platform that works to protect the elderly. Liz, I know that this is an issue that has shaped your life, that's near and dear to you, protecting the elderly, particularly from financial abuse. Just let me start by saying welcome, and I'm glad you're willing to talk about these things. Thanks for having me, Karen. I've gone way back with ACAMS and your interest in protecting older and or vulnerable adults from fraud has been really impressive. So thanks for having me. COVID-19, how has that changed the world and what particular challenges has COVID-19 presented for trying to protect older people from financial abuse? I think it's accurate to say that COVID-19 hit all of us hard, but it hit older adults especially hard. Most of us learned that older people were more likely to catch the virus, uh, mostly due to comorbidities, but they suffered from it more severely physically, and older folks had a tougher recovery as well. As we all know, older adults who were isolated before the pandemic hit were more vulnerable to elder fraud. That's a well-known fact that isolation is a risk factor for becoming vulnerable to elder exploitation. Adding a crisis like the pandemic, which forced quarantine, even for those who were fortunate enough to have family members nearby, uh, made things far worse. And so older folks who were used to regular visits from loved ones who helped them keep an eye on things and provided assistance with financial caregiving, looking at account statements, making sure bills were paid on time, maybe checking in with their older loved one on a suspicious looking email or piece of mail. During this time, COVID made things worse uh, without loved ones and really paved the way for scammers to carry on their dirty work. And their dirty work, of course, included targeting 
older people taking advantage of folks' hope and fear, really ensnaring older victims. So we saw scams like fake COVID tests that you could do at home. People charge for them. And of course, they were not real tests. We heard from victims of phony contact tracing schemes, bogus checks from the government, vaccination schemes. Scams against the uh, vulnerable older population definitely increased and, and made things a lot more challenging. I think that the, the wisdom out there is digitalization is happening in financial services and that that was greatly accelerated by COVID-19. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the challenges that that presents, you know, and what you're learning in an ongoing way about protecting people in a financial services market that is digital. I really believe in fighting fire with fire. If scammers are going to steal electronically, you need to monitor your accounts electronically and do it daily and send alerts to trusted folks that are serving as financial caregivers. If scammers are going to use the phone to rip off vulnerable seniors, you need to use technology to block robocalls and calls you know are from scammers. Around the time of the pandemic, the FCC started permitting telecom companies, cell companies to block calls. It was really important and it remains really important to use technology to protect not just older adults, but your entire family, your young college grad with his or her first credit card, your baby that may be subject to identity theft, but it's important to use digital services to protect your money. What are financial institutions doing? You sort of alluded to some measures and what should they be doing to protect their customers? I appreciate your asking that because I think there is so much more that could be done within financial institutions. Many large banks and investment firms and some smaller ones now have formed senior client teams to look at this issue. And that's partly because the regulators are looking at it. So what could they do better? <laughs> well, if I were king of the world or I would be queen of the world, I would certainly ask financial institutions to consider the fact that KYC, known as know your customer, that that changes with age. So <laughs> alerts from banks still, even now, we haven't really made much progress since my last chat with you, they're still rather static. So at my big bank, when I'm asked whether I want fraud alerts, I can set an amount and get an alert for a transaction over that high amount or set another alert and get an alert for a transaction under that amount. And that's not personalized. So that's something that we're addressing. That's something we do, frankly, at Eversafe. But I really do wish, especially banks and credit unions, would realize that you know, your habits aren't the same, usually, when you're 85 than they were when you were in your 20s. You know, you may no longer be visiting the ATM at 2.30 in the morning. Um, so that's one thing that I really think needs to change. Another thing that needs to change, the fact that scammers are rarely going, if they decide they're going to steal, they'll rarely steal a huge amount from one account. They work across accounts. They work across institutions. I've seen this personally as a prosecutor. I know what they do. They usually, the good ones, they're smart. They know they will fly under the radar if they start small and then test an account and then go a little bigger. And then they'll see an account, say an investment account, steal from that, use a credit card. And so monitoring across accounts and across institutions is important. And I know that bank privacy is a concern, 
but really sending alerts to a team, a designated team of folks who can't move money from that account, but who can see what's going on is also super important. Most of the cases we got when I was a prosecutor, at least half of them, first of all, the cases went on for a long period of time and they were finally identified often not by the financial institution, but by a family member or an investment advisor or a CPA that saw what was happening after a period of weeks, months, and often years. So these are some of the things that I think that financial institutions really need to start doing and start improving to protect their customers, especially older customers who may, and I use that term strongly, may, not all of them are, but may be more vulnerable and may be more at risk to scammers as they age. This also leads to a, a question, I mean, the responsibility of financial institutions. What are the responsibilities of families to make sure that their accounts are safe? You've said often having a, some kind of system of oversight, electronic alerts, that kind of thing, and what else? Personally, of course, there's no real legal responsibility, but personally, <laughs> you should be thinking about your loved ones and especially your loved ones who may be at risk of financial abuse, which may include the older person in your family, may include a newborn. People often don't realize that newborns can be victims of identity theft. And of course, that won't become evident until later in their lives. Your adult child who perhaps thinks he or she is perfectly capable of handling their money, but really isn't keeping an eye on their accounts and their credit cards. Loved ones have a responsibility to watch out for each other. And I'm sure you're not surprised to learn that I think that would involve using fintech to do that because there are great fintech services that can help with that. Not just monitoring services that I mentioned that can personalize monitoring and look not just at credit. Everybody knows about identity theft. Many folks don't realize that exploitation that happens to seniors and to others involves more than just something that would appear in a credit report. In fact, most of the cases I saw when I was at the DA's office often never landed in a credit report. It involves depository accounts often, like unauthorized savings accounts that are opened at your bank, credit card fraud that doesn't show up in a credit report, maybe a dormant card that's discovered. But other fintech services can be really useful to families as well, like a prepaid debit card that will block charges at certain businesses that a senior may be prone to visit. I know there were problems with green dot cards some time ago, or maybe an older person that's doing more shopping online at the shopping networks during the pandemic and maybe getting carried away. If a family member wants to help, you can get a prepaid card that blocks certain businesses. There are, of course, an array of password protectors. There are fintech services that can electronically save a power of attorney or trust or a will. So I do think that family members should form a team, talk about things that they can do and a, and a system that they can follow to help protect their family members' finances and consider using fintech services to do that. A lot of folks think that doing this or using financial monitoring is just for seniors or just as a tool for dealing with what could happen. If mom or dad is diagnosed with dementia, and of course, no one ever believes that they're going to have a problem with their cognition or that their mom or dad will. People are in denial about this. They just don't think it will happen. So 
I really spent a lot of time trying to get families to get in front of any emergency that could happen. And Kieran, it's not necessarily dementia either. When I talk to financial services professionals about this issue, I often get a question, what do I do about dementia? How do I address it with families? I say, don't, because things can happen even without dementia. As you get older, if you're going to retire, you may be doing more traveling. You need to have a system to keep an eye on your money while you're away, you know, enjoying life, having fun in your golden years. So this is really important for folks to address early in life. That's what I spend time asking families to do. Many family members have not had this kind of talk. I call it the talk. You would be surprised at how many younger adults have no idea where their parents bank. Let's not talk about how much money they have. Let's talk about where they bank. Let's talk about whether they have a power of attorney, who their parents' investment advisor or broker dealer is, what doctors they're seeing, very basic things, whether they have insurance, what insurance policies do they have and where are they? Very basic things are not being addressed by families early on. And those conversations need to happen. And by the way, they can go both ways because things can happen to younger adults in the family too. And financial monitoring needs to be a part of that conversation. Well, uh, you mentioned dementia, and I, I think you made a pretty good case that it's not just about dementia. It doesn't have to be where the, the discussion uh, begins. We spoke when we thought about doing this uh, briefly about this movie on Netflix, I Really Care. I think I'm bringing it up now to just sort of do a reality check with you. Uh, you you know, had the very high-profile prosecution of uh, in the Astra case, the Brooke Astra case of her son, and uh, there was guardianship issues there that arose at one point. And, but, but tell me a little bit, of, I'm sure a number of people have seen the movie, what's real and what's not in that? What are the lessons from it? We did talk about this briefly, and the, and the film is actually called I, I Care A Lot, but don't feel bad. because <laughs> Oh, I care a lot. I never get that right. The truth is that uh, when a guardianship goes wrong, it can be horrible. People have asked me, do those things really happen now? And I put some cases out there on LinkedIn. And if you think that that kind of thing doesn't happen in today's world, you can look at my LinkedIn, a recent post where, you know, I read about a case that happened in Delaware. And there was a woman, I believe her name was Gloria Byers. She's from Pennsylvania. And she and two other people were accused of stealing over a million dollars from something like close to 110 elderly wards in a couple of uh, different Philadelphia counties. And this happened over six years, Karen. This happened while Ms. Byers was serving as a court-appointed guardian for, like I said, a number of incapacitated people. How did they get away with it? They get away with it quite simply by opening up bank accounts and depositing stolen checks into those accounts. In the case involving buyers, the recent case, a, you know, a guardian stole from one protected person to pay back another once they were discovered stealing from that one. So this is definitely an issue, but I also think there's some misunderstanding about guardianship and conservatorship. When it goes well, it can be a, a very helpful tool, just like a power of attorney can be a helpful tool, but can also be abused. Something to be watched and something to be monitored and perhaps, uh, as you said, maybe some of the legal code needs to be fine-tuned maybe rather than fixed. Well, you were asking me about, you know, what financial institutions can do. There's really very little oversight 
for guardians and conservators. I know this because as a prosecutor, my most frustrating cases were those where family members would come to me and say, I'm in guardianship court and you wouldn't believe what's going on. And, you know, often it was a family member. My brother or sister needs to be arrested for what they're doing and the court needs to do more. And financial institutions should speak up, you're saying. I'm actually saying that the law should require or courts should strongly consider using financial monitoring to keep track daily of what guardians and conservators are doing. Financial institutions can do more, but so can the court that appoints the guardian or conservator. I think people would be surprised to realize that accountings need to happen legally in guardianship court or conservatorship court, but they happen once a year. And often it's not even once a year. And that's a lot of time for a guardian or conservator, A, not to do his or her job or pay bills or do what they're supposed to do, or B, at worst, be stealing. And so it can go on for a long time before it's discovered, if it's ever discovered. We are working now with two courts and the National Center for State Courts, when I say we at Eversafe, to use fintech monitoring. Um, we're doing this in Detroit and soon in Charleston to keep an eye on conservators who are appointed. They will be ordered to use Eversafe so that the court can have some visibility into what's going on with the protected person's accounts. Much more could be done. You've mentioned the tools that Eversafe has. We know there's other fintechs out there. I mean, often we hear from a number of the fintech companies that participate in ACAM's conferences about how they feel sometimes they're better at identifying fraud and, and false identity than some of the mainline financial institutions because of these tools. So there's that on the one hand. On the other hand, technology seems to be something that criminals are mastering too, kind of a never-ending battle. And, and I guess as we run out of time here, maybe talk to me a little bit, or, you know, how you see things playing out. Are you, are you optimistic? What more needs to be said or done to make the world safer for people? Yeah, I am optimistic. I'm optimistic that whether it's motivated by regulators being focused on financial abuse that can happen both to seniors and younger adults, the Senior Safe Act is out there. There are some new FINRA rules that focus on this problem. But as you said, fintechs are also developing services that I think can really save the day. And I think that banks and firms are realizing that in addition to developing their senior investor, senior customer initiatives, in addition to doing training on elder fraud, I do think that they are working with fintech companies now who can do things that they simply can't do or won't do, like sending alerts to a designated team. Banks worry about that because of Gramm-Leach-Bliley. So they may be reporting to adult protective services as they're mandated to do in something like 29 states, but not yet comfortable with sending alerts to a team, which uh, a fintech service can do. Uh, fintech can also be used for banks and firms and credit unions to report more efficiently. So unfortunately for financial institutions, in many states, they're mandated to report uh, suspected abuse of an elderly person or a vulnerable elderly person. But they have to check state law to figure out what process to use, who is protected in one state, it may be folks over 60, in another, it may be folks over 65, it may be in another state, it's someone who suffers from cognitive impairment. 
One interesting thing that FinTech can do is uh, we actually are involved in a project supported by the Department of Justice with the National Adult Protective Services Association, with SIFMA, the Securities uh, Industry and Financial Markets Association, with Hunter College and Eversafe. We've developed technology so that no matter what state you're in, if you're a financial institution and you want to report a case, you don't have to bother looking up the statute, seeing who's protected. You can use this fintech portal to report the case to Adult Protective Services um, or State Securities Regulator. And we are now live. We actually just added the U.S. Postal Inspector, which is really exciting. They get lots of cases involving seniors that involve the mail. Identity theft can, of course, happen to the mail. So now, if you're a financial institution in any state, you can also report to the Postal Inspector. So when you think about FinTech, you can think about things like guardianship court and reporting requirements and making life easier and certainly more secure. You know, many banks and firms are still using the phone or a fax machine to report cases of elder financial abuse and using a fax machine to send maybe your records if they think you're a victim, which will sit on a fax machine. Can you imagine that during COVID? So using FinTech to make that process more secure is also really exciting. And to answer your question, I'm really optimistic about this. This is why I left the DA's office, is I saw all of these cases that went on for so long and victims who were devastated, um, victims who really didn't know what was going on, because even though they could carry on a uh, superficial conversation, they had no idea that they had just gotten involved in a horrible reverse mortgage. Um, so, and or family members that came in crying that they didn't do more and they didn't have the talk. So I really am uh, really hopeful that financial institutions will do more and that they'll also consider working with fintechs that will resolve this problem. I mean, hopefully the next time we talk, Kieran, this will be a problem where we have made a huge dent in progress in protecting older vulnerable people. Well, that is a great notion, a great goal to end on. Uh, and I just want to thank you, Liz. Liz Lowy, uh, co-founder of Eversafe and uh, the founder of the Elder Abuse Bureau in the Office of the District Attorney of New York. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, Karen. And thanks to ACAMS for being one of the first groups to focus on this problem, because we're all going to be there someday. We all have parents who are going to be there someday. I really appreciate your having me. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Liz Lowy, co-founder of Eversafe. I hope you found what you heard compelling and will subscribe on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so that you'll receive an alert for each new podcast. Because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.